Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Good morning, good evening, or good night, you lovely listeners. To open up your Monday and week, I got for you three back-to-back, heavily remastered Nero Wolf episodes. And these were only slightly tricky, but I'm getting good enough to know exactly how to target each painfully dodgy part. Whether it's white noise, ugh, pops or clicks, or muddy audio, blah 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 blah. I've got it in hand now. So much so that I've pushed the envelope and I've gone to three Nero Wolves today. Oh yes, indeedy. We have the final page, a friend of Wolf is found dead, Arthur Mural, with a knife in his back. The Telltale Ribbon, the mysterious Jenkins, delivers an unknown note, and no one knows who Jenkins is. The single shot in the dark, Tom Wilcox, the man who was acquitted of murder, shot whilst on the phone to Archie. And no, it wasn't Archie's fault. Now, I'm not going to keep you waiting because this is a big episode, so let's jump on in. Enjoy! Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell brings you mystery, adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. What? Oh, Fritz, yeah, I thought it was the outside line. Yeah? Yes, thanks, I'll be right down, Fritz. Boss, Mr. Wolf, will you please hurry? You're well aware that it will avail you nothing to hurry me? Why are you, Mr. Ware, be in such a rush today? But the car, it's downstairs waiting. Fritz is all ready. Let him wait. Isn't it enough that I have agreed against my better judgment to leave the comforts of home to go rushing through the crashing traffic of the city? To a dinner? That should be an inducement. Fritz could have prepared a delicious dinner. He has truffles in the pantry. Well, why did you promise Arthur Merle? You didn't have to accept the invitation. Quite so. He's an old friend. Besides, he does set an excellent table. It's just that I don't like the traffic. Traffic? <laughs> I know why. It's that awful oxygen in the atmosphere outside. It's not the traffic. Archie, you're talking much too much. I know, boss. I'm impatient. Would you mind giving me some slight indication that you intend to move from that chair? Just as soon as I finish this beer. Sure you wouldn't care for half a dozen sandwiches before we go to dinner? If we were going anywhere other than to Arthur Murrow's, I'd agree with you. He's the only person in the world I know of, except myself, of course who has a proper appreciation and respect for the art of preparing good food. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that renowned genius who is the bulkiest, bulkiest, most ponderous, and most brilliant detective in the world. Yes, none other than that chair-born mass of unpredictable intellect, Nero Wolfe. Created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. We usually refer to this story as the case of the final page. Under normal circumstances, the last page of a manuscript would be absolutely worthless unless you read all the preceding pages. But in this instance, the final page held the answer to a murder. Without that page, we couldn't arrive at the solution. Actually, we didn't even know the problem. Anyhow, I finally got Nero Wolf to the lobby of Arthur Merle's apartment building. Going up. Going up. Up, please. Are you going up, gentlemen? Are you, honey? Certainly. 
It's my job. Then so are we. After you, boss. When did they install women in the elevator operators in this building? I've been here for two years. Floor, please. Arthur Merle's apartment, I believe. It's 814. That's right. Are you Mr. Wolf? Uh, no. This is Mr. Wolf. I'm Archie Goodwin. Although the name Wolf would be much more appropriate for him than for me. How did you know he was Mr. Wolf? Mr. Merle came in half an hour ago. He mentioned that he was expecting you. You see, Archie, you rushed me unnecessarily. We practically preceded him here. And we'll probably have to wait interminably for dinner. I just hate to be late. Arthur Merrill has never been on time in his life. He's no more punctual than any other writer. He's never been known to meet a deadline on time. This is your floor, gentlemen. Arthur Merrill is just down the hall to the right, 814. Uh, thank you. And uh, by the way, I want to compliment you on your congenial attitude, miss. I'll speak to the management. Oh, thank you, sir. Decent of you. Uh, what's your name, huh? Women are usurping everything. Really cost to live here. World's really in the chips. Every book he writes sells a million copies. Remember the last time we had dinner with Arthur Morrow? I do. Delicious. Mountain Quail shot them himself. Yeah, he's quite a marksman. Archie, such proficiency as Arthur Merrill displayed in hunting is evidence of a wasted life. Sure, he probably never made over $500,000 a year in his whole life. Well, ring again. Don't just stand there. Surely he's expecting us. The elevator operator said he was? Yeah, she seemed quite well informed. If I were a judge of women, which I'm not, I'd say she has a line on every male in the building. Well, she can get a line on me anytime she wants. Archie, your insatiable interest in the female seems sometimes to border on the psychopathic. You know a more pleasant way to go crazy? Phooey. There's strange as a light on in there. I can see it under the door. Shall I try the door? Do so, Archie. Thank you. Mm, I'm not. Well, at least we can get in. He may be in the bedroom. Probably in the kitchen. I'll just sit here. <sighs> I must forgo the comforts of my own home. I certainly intend to avail myself of the comforts of Arthur Merle's. Hmm. Very much over-decorated. You wouldn't like heaven unless they had orchids and beer. Hmm. Not a chair in the place worthy of the name. Well, I'll try that divan while you have a look around. For what? Arthur Merle, of course. Suppose you have a look in the study. Maybe writing. Have a look, my boy. I'm exhausted and thirsty. See if he has any... Boss! Good heavens, Archie. Don't shout. I'm coming. It's Arthur Merle. Look. Slumped over his desk. A knife in his back. Yeah. He's quite dead. You haven't touched anything? Certainly not. I've been around long enough to know that. Well, you just call Inspector Kramer at homicide. How long do you think he's been dead? I'd say a half hour. From all appearances, yes. And perhaps only ten minutes. I can't understand it. Why would anyone want to kill Arthur Merle? Everybody liked him. Nice man I'd expect such a thing to happen to. The answer is probably a considerable distance from the question, Archie. Inspector Kramer, homicide. Archie Goodwin, Inspector. Just a minute, Nero Wolf wants to speak to you. Oh, I'm sorry. Here you are, boss. Hello, Inspector. Yes? What is it this time, Wolf? Find a dead body on the Grand's tomb? 
I'm sorry you'll forgive any apparent failure to find humor in your little witticism. But I'm at Arthur Merle's apartment. I suggest you come here at once. Seems that Arthur finally met a deadline. So you just walked in here and found Merle dead, huh? We were invited here for dinner. Anyone else around when you got here? No. You see anyone, Goodwin? Only the elevator operator who brought us up. Well, Mr. Wolf, since you were in on the ground floor, maybe you've got some ideas. Sorry, Inspector. Had I been able to solve the crime so soon, I would have advised you, Inspector. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's obviously murder. Obviously. You knew him well? Quite well. Ever know his being in any trouble? No. Everybody liked him. Arthur Merle, I felt, didn't have an enemy in the world. Is that so? I don't think anybody pulled this as a little friendly gesture. Don't jump to conclusions, Inspector, that this murder was committed necessarily by an enemy of Merle's. Meaning? It could have been an absolute stranger. A woman? Or a burglar? Or a madman? Or a crank? Or... As far as we know, it could have been anybody in the city, Inspector. Arthur's been dead nearly an hour. And an hour ago, I was in my own home, sitting comfortably in my own big easy chair, drinking a delectable glass of beer. Someone at the door, Archie. Yeah, here, just a minute. I'll answer that. Mr. Merle? No. Uh, well, is Mr. Merle here? Yes, he's here. But he's not seeing anyone. Well, he's expecting me. I'm from the Surfright Catering Company. We're ready to serve for four here tonight. The dinner has been canceled. Oh, but it's been ordered. Breast of guinea hen, cooked in wine and cloves, delicious. It's prepared and waiting. I'm afraid that I must insist on seeing Mr. Merle. Mr. Merle has been murdered. Well, I'm afraid I must... Uh, murdered? Well, oh, my goodness, but... Well, in that case, I... Yes, good evening. Don't you think you might have taken a bit more time with the fellow, Inspector? Why? You might at least have let him serve the dinner. Guinea hen, wine, and clove sounded positively delectable. Look, I've had dinner. I'm afraid you're too busy, Inspector. So busy that you've just passed up an extremely interesting bit of information. What are you talking about, Wolf? He said he was to serve dinner for four. Well? Arthur Merrill, Archie, and myself are only three. Well, who else was supposed to be here? A fourth guest who either hasn't arrived yet or who arrived earlier and left. Oh, I see what you mean, Wolf. Good. In that case, I'll leave you to pursue your deductions from that premise. Archie, will you please stay with the inspector and be of any help that you can? As for myself, I'm going back to my own home, which I should never have left in the first place. Okay, that finishes the apartment search, Goodwin. And what have we? Nothing. Except that Merle had over $300 in his pocket, and he was wearing a ring worth a couple of thousand, so it couldn't have been robbery. And I don't think it was premeditated murder. Why not? The weapon. Obviously, if someone had planned on killing Merle, he'd have prepared it better. Used a better weapon than a blunt paper knife. No, as I see it, someone was here before you and Wolf arrived, and for some reason that person found it necessary to kill Merle, and he did it on the spur of the moment. I'm listening. And it's obvious. Merle was slumped over his typewriter. The sheet of paper was in it. He'd been working. May I see it? Yeah. Starbreaker. Strange title. Page 189. He was getting well along with his latest mystery. Apparently. 
Gregory Thorne slipped the paper into his pocket. It was just an ordinary piece of paper, but Gregory knew its value. Used properly, as Greg knew how to use it, it would be worth $100,000. He walked away briskly, and as he... That's all. Yeah, that's all. Must have been right. No, I'd like to read the rest of it. We didn't find any more of it. Any other ideas? No, at the moment we seem to be right where the murderer himself left off. Oh, what is this, open house? Sorry to be so... Oh. Oh, what? I was... I mean, I expected to see Mr. Merle. Is he here? Who are you? Cynthia Roberts. He expecting you? Well, no. That is... Uh, Come on in, Miss Roberts. Thank you. Maybe the young lady is trying to say that he didn't have to expect her. Maybe she felt free to call without advance notice, Inspector. Inspector? Uh, What did you want to see Mr. Merle about? I... Well, I'm his fiancé. Had dinner yet, Miss Roberts? Why, yes, I had dinner earlier. Uh, When were you last here, Miss Roberts? Last night, after the theater. Arthur and I were... What's the matter? Is something wrong? I'm sorry to have to tell you this, Miss Roberts, but Arthur Merle was murdered. And you say you hadn't talked to Mr. Merle all evening. Is that right, Miss Roberts? Yes, that's right. You didn't have a date with him tonight? No. Then why did you come here? I told you we were engaged. I just came by, that's all. I see. Any more questions, Inspector? None for the present. How about you, Goodwin? No, but maybe Wolf. Let me call him. Yes, I guess under the circumstances we can't very well leave him out. Go ahead. Oh, Arthur, I just can't believe it. Why would anyone want to kill him? That, Miss Roberts, is a question we'd all like to know the answer to. Yeah, Wolf speaking. Archie, boss, I'm still at Merle's. We haven't found out anything new except that Arthur's fiancé dropped in a few minutes ago. Did she know anything of interest? I don't think so. What does the inspector plan to do about it? Just a minute. He wants to know what you're going to do with it. Well, hold her, of course. He's going to hold her. Let me speak to him. Okay. He wants to talk to you, Inspector. All right. Hello. Inspector, I suggest you let the young lady go. Are you crazy? I haven't got enough suspects in this deal to be letting the hardest one go free. You can't consider her a suspect simply because she knew Arthur. Now, see here, Wolf. If you go around arresting people at random, you'll suddenly be tipping your hand to the real murderer, admitting that you don't have a real clue to go on. And just what do you suggest? Find a motive, Inspector. Find a motive. Then, if you stumble on a suspect, you'll have some basis for making an arrest. At the moment, I suggest that you let the girl go and tell Archie to stop wasting his time down there and come home at once. So that's the story, boss. We went over that place with a fine-tooth comb. Nothing. There's not a single suspect. The last person to see Arthur alive was the elevator girl. Correction, Archie. The last person to see Arthur Merle alive was the person who ended his life. Well, I just can't imagine that pretty little elevator gal. You don't solve crimes by imagination, Archie. Then there's Cynthia Roberts, his fiance. You suspect her? Not exactly, but just suppose she did have a motive. Maybe he threw her over. Wouldn't it have been very clever of her to come back to Arthur's apartment after the police arrived, allegedly looking for it? I thought you were the admirer of the fair six, Archie. So far, the best you can do is practically accuse the elevator girl and Arthur's fiancée of murder. Well, who else is there? Certainly the fellow who came with the food doesn't count. I repeat, who else is there? The entire population of the city, Archie. 
Thanks. Well, that's all I get. Oh, well, there was something else. What? This. Page 189 of what appears to be Arthur's latest novel. It was in his typewriter. As you can see, just started the page. Hmm, Starbreaker. Hmm. Very interesting. What's the rest of it? That's all we found. What? And there was something missing. Archie. Yes, boss? First thing tomorrow morning, get the address of Mr. Morton, who publishes Arthur's books. Then get over to see him right away. Uh, yes, may I help you? I'd like to see Mr. Morton. Uh, did you have an appointment? Tell him I'm from Hamas. Uh, how... Oh, yes, sir. Yes? Uh, Mr. Morton, I know you have someone with you, but uh, there's a gentleman here from the Homicide Bureau. He wants to see you. Tell him I work for Nero Wolf. My name's Goodwin. His name is Goodwin. Send him in. Yes, thank you. You may go right in, sir. The large door to your right. Thanks. Come in, Mr. Goodwin. Come in. I understand you're from Homicide. Not exactly. I'm Nero Wolf's assistant. We're working with Inspector Kramer. And what can I do for you? You've heard about Arthur Murrow. Yes, I received the word when I came in this morning. It was a great shock. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Goodwin. This gentleman is Henry Childs. How do you do, Mr. Childs? Glad to meet you, Mr. Goodwin. You're with Nero Wolf? I'm his, well, his assistant man Friday. Mr. Childs is a publicity agent. He handled all publicity for Arthur Merle. I've not only lost an excellent client, but a very good friend. Did you know Mr. Merle? Yes, I'd met him a number of times with Mr. Wolf. Yes, indeed. Arthur Merle was a great writer and a fine citizen. He'll be missed by millions. Mr. Goodwin, when was the murder discovered? Last night, shortly before dinner. Well, what are the police, I mean, what do you think the motive was? Don't know as yet, Mr. Charles. A little early for that. Well, it's certainly a shame. I, uh, I wanted to ask you a few questions, Mr. Morton, privately. I hope you don't mind, Mr. Charles. Oh, no, no, not at all. I was about to leave. I'll run along now, Mr. Morton. Uh, see you again soon, Mr. Charles. Good morning, gentlemen. Well, Mr. Goodwin, you did a lot of business with Mr. Merle, Mr. Morton. I published every one of his novels for the past eight years. And you intended to publish his new one, the one he was working on? Yes, we had a contract. The usual agreement between you. Naturally. Although I didn't know the story, I was always sure that if Arthur wrote it, it was good. Mr. Merle's name on the novel was a guarantee that it would sell a million copies. You don't know what this last one was about. Haven't the faintest idea. We relied completely on Arthur's judgment. Not even any carbon copies, huh? Not that I know of. Why? When Mr. Merle was killed, the only thing missing from his apartment was the novel. The novel? The first 188 pages, all we found of it were a few lines of page 189 in his typewriter. He must have been working on it when the murderer stabbed him. The rest of it's gone. You mean, Goodwin, the the novel's gone? This will cost me a million dollars. Well, it cost Arthur Merle his life. Arthur Merle dead and his novel gone. I can hardly believe it. Well, thank you, Mr. Morton. I hope I've been of some help, although I don't I'm sorry you haven't. But we may call on you again. Before it's over, you may be a great help. Nero Wolf speaking. Archie, boss. I just finished with Morton. He doesn't know a thing. Merle never discussed his stories with anyone, and as far as Morton knows, he never made comments. I see. Where do I go from here, boss? See Cynthia Roberts. Oh, then you haven't dismissed the possibility that she may have had something to do with it. Being his fiancée, she probably knows more about Arthur than anyone else. She may know who the fourth guest was to have been last night. And she also may know what Merle's novel was about. Right, boss. I'm anxious to know what the novel was about, too. 
I personally don't give a hang what the novel was about. What I want to find there is someone who does know the story. Because I have a hunch that whoever knows that is the person who killed Arthur Merle. Miss Roberts, I know you want to help us find out who killed Arthur. Oh, yes, of course. I'll do anything. Nero Wolfe and I were invited to have dinner with Arthur Merle last night. Well, I knew he was having friends in for dinner, but I didn't know who they were. Oh, I'm sorry. I hoped you'd know whom he invited. No, he didn't tell me. Miss Roberts, we have reason to believe that there was to have been a fourth person there last night. Uh, a fourth? The caterer came to deliver dinner for four. Now, the fourth party never did show up, or else came earlier and left after Arthur was killed. You mean someone Arthur invited to dinner might have... Killed him? Maybe. Oh, there's no one that I can think of who bore any ill will toward Arthur. We're convinced that this was done on the spur of the moment. Unpremeditated murder. Arthur Merle suddenly became a threat to someone. Now we've got to find out what the threat was and who was threatened. We'd hope you could help. I'm sorry. Did he ever discuss his new novel with you? Oh, no. He never talked about his stories until he'd finished them. So his latest mystery contains the answer to an even greater mystery. Unless we find the first, they'll both go unanswered. Mr. Morton? Yes? Nero Wolf speaking. Oh, yes. Your man Goodwin was here to see me. I presume you are interested in seeing Merle's murderer brought to justice? Certainly. Arthur was a close friend of mine. And his death cost you a best sir, I know. Now, would you be willing to help a bit? Why, yes, if I... I've prepared a statement for the papers. I want you to call the literary editors first thing in the morning. Here's what I want you to tell them. Got a pencil and paper? Yeah. And take this down. Quote, Mr. Carlton Morton announced today that the last work of the late Arthur Merle will be published according to schedule. Fortunately, it was Mr. Merle's custom to furnish his publishers with carbon copies of each day's work Consequently, with the major portion of his... Boss! Boss! Good heaven, Archie. Please don't be so loud. Look here. In this morning's paper, why, that rat, he lied to me, that... that... What on earth are you talking about? That publisher, Morton, he said he didn't have copies of Merle's manuscript, that he didn't know what it was about. And And listen to this. Mr. Carlton Morton announced today that the last work of the late Arthur Merle will be published according to schedule. Fortunately, it was Mr. Merle's custom to furnish his publisher with carbon copies of each day's work. Consequently, with a major portion of his latest work, Starbreaker, in the hands of his publisher, together with a complete synopsis, including the denouement, it will be possible for a ghostwriter to complete the novel. It will be published posthumously in proceeds where... Boss, did you hear that? I did, and it couldn't have been more to my liking if I'd written it myself. Now, excuse me, I want to make a telephone call. Who? Publisher Morton. Yeah, I'm beginning to see. He lied about the whole thing. I still don't see why he'd kill Merle, but on... Hello, Mr. Morton. This is Nero Wolf. Yes, perfect. Now I'll call Kramer, and he and Archie will be waiting for you. Remember now, if anything comes of it, you are to say the manuscript is in the safe in your home, and you steer the party here. Say you've recently rented this place. I hope we'll be seeing you. Yes. Goodbye. 
Oh, and be careful to remember what happened to Arthur. The manuscript is in my desk in the middle drawer. What the... Th- you mean... Archie, look out of that window. Huh? Yeah? Out there is a city of some five million people. In that five million, there is one who murdered Arthur Merle. Now, we don't know who it is, so we can't go out and put a finger on him. But, Archie, since we can't go to him, we have only one other choice, make him come to us. you tell me why we're sitting here in the dark in Wolf's office? Yes, Inspector Kramer. Mr. Wolf promised us a caller. Mr. Morton is to pretend that he's rented this place recently. Well, who's the caller? Can't tell you until he or she gets here. You seem certain he'll come. I'm quite certain. I'm just hopeful. You trying to tell me that Morton killed Merle? You're almost as dense as Archie was. No, Morton didn't do it. Unless Mr. Wolf is very wrong, which is doubtful... Before the night is over, Morton will know who did. And then it won't be long until we know, too. Now, you should get on a quiz program. You're so good at guessing games. Shh. Listen. Huh? Someone's coming. A brilliant deduction, my dear Kramer. I hope there are two of them. Inspector, behind these drapes. Quick. I'll get behind the screen. All right, Mr. Morton. So far, you've been very cooperative. Just keep it up. I have no intention of doing otherwise. Your gun has me completely convinced, Mr. Child. Get the manuscript. Uh, yes, just a moment. It's in my desk. Wait a minute. I thought you said it was in a safe. A mistake, Mr. Childs. I don't have a safe. Shall I get the manuscript? Yes, but no tricks. You be careful. I'm being exceedingly careful, Mr. Childs. There you are. Starbreaker by Arthur Merle. Yes, this is it. Thank you, Mr. Morton. Now, I trust that's all you want of me. I'm sorry. I wish that were true. Unfortunately, you see, it's not the actual novel that I want. Oh? My interest in this copy is the same as it was in the original. And that is? That no one should ever learn the content. I take it you know what it's about, then? Yes. You see, Mr. Merle made the mistake of telling me when I called a bit early at his apartment for dinner last evening. I was forced to deprive him of his life once I learned the storyline of this novel. This story must be kept secret. Why? Most of you people in the publishing business know me as a public relations and publicity agent for several prominent writers. Yes? Actually, I've been as successful as I might in this business. Because a few years ago, I stumbled onto a very neat and foolproof method of blackmail. Unfortunately, Arthur Merle thought of the same thing and based this story on it. If it got out, I'd be exposed and sent to prison. So you can see why I had to stop it, why I had to kill Arthur, and why... Now I'll have to kill you, too. Oh, child, for heaven's sake. The contents of these pages condemn me. You know what's in them. Further, I've confessed a murder to you. You don't think I could let you live after that, do you? Child, you're insane. I'm sorry that I must repay you for your trouble in such an ungrateful manner. I'm sorry to do this to you, child, but I can't... Child, please, no! Sorry, Mr. Charles. There wasn't time to ask you to drop the gun. All right, Mr. Charles. Get your hands up and stay where you are. Nice going, Mr. Morton. Who are you? That took courage, Mr. Morton. Sorry we had to wait so long, but we had to make Mr. Charles here convict himself. Convict? What do you mean? We've been waiting here for you, behind the drapes all the time. We heard every word. Mr. Charles, you're under arrest. Police? Yes, Mr. Charles. Only one person could have been so anxious over a copy of that novel. That's the person who killed Arthur Merle for the original. 
And we heard you confess to that. And that's all we need to convict you. We didn't have any proof until we set it up for you to make a second try to cover up for the first. Fortunately, the setup worked. Setup? Take a look at the rest of the manuscript, Mr. Giles. What? Oh, the front page is there, all right, but look at the rest. What the... Blank. They're just blank pages. You didn't have a copy at all. No, but we certainly got a murderer. Eh, Inspector? Giles! Giles! Stop, Giles! Stop! Well, that's one way to avoid standing trial. Well, Archie, I'm glad you and Kramer got Charles. Some BRP. That was a clever scheme, boss, making him think there was a copy. Yes. In a way, though, I wish it hadn't been just a scheme. Meaning? I wish there had been a copy of Arthur Murrow's novel. Why? You never read detective stories? No, but I've drummed up so much curiosity over this one, I'd like to know exactly what that blackmail gimmick really was. Good night, Archie. Ah. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell brings you mystery, adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. What? Who? Who is this? Who wants to speak to Mr. Wolf? Nobody. Nobody? I said that. Hang up. It's late and it's too cold. And even if it weren't, I would not consider for one moment moving from this room. Please, Mr. Wolf, I can't hear a thing this old gentleman's saying. Does it matter? You heard what I said? No. Now, what did you say? You were late because she was killed. Who was killed? I can't hear you. What is it about, Archie? He says he was due here an hour ago, but she was killed. Who was killed? What does he want? Uh, Do you want us to solve the crime? I said, do you want us to find out who killed her? Oh, he says he knows who did it, but he has an important message for you. Well, then come right over. We'll be waiting, Mr. Jenkins. Archie, why do you insist on taking every silly little case? Because, boss, we need to recover for March 15th. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that renowned genius who is the bulkiest, bulkiest, most ponderous, and most brilliant detective in the world. Yes, none other than that chairborne mass of unpredictable intellect, Nero Wolf, created by Rex Stout, and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. This case I like to refer to as the case of the Telltale Ribbon. Perhaps a better title would be Wolf Goes A-Hunting. For in a way, this was one of those unusual instances in which my boss, of his own free will and without any coercion, actually decided to leave the house and go to the scene of the crime. It started when the strange old gentleman who phoned us finally arrived. Well, there's our client, Mr. Wolf. Evening. It's me. Who's me? Oh, I just phoned you. I, I'm Jenkins. I got a dispatch for Nero Wolf. Oh, you're Jenkins. Well, come in, come in. 
Mr. Wolf, this is Mr. Jenkins. Says he has a dispatch for you. Yep. Are you Wolf? I am. Where is the dispatch from? Don't know. You don't know? How come? Oh, I know, but I'm supposed to say I don't. See? That's my job. What is? Just to say I don't know. What about the matter? Yeah, who was killed? Oh, my goodness. It was a terrible thing. We were just crossing the turnpike, and this fellow come at us out of nowhere. The killer? Yeah. Must have been drunk, I guess. Well, how did it happen? Did he shoot her, stab her? Oh, no, no. He ran into her with his car. And she was only nine years old. Your granddaughter? No, no, it was Bessie. But the police got him. I, I have to appear, I guess. Probably get 90 days, he will. For murder? Murder. Was somebody murdered? I must have missed something. Look, we're talking about Bessie, and what do you want us to do about it? Nothing. Bessie's my old horse. Oh, no. Uh, but say, who was it that was murdered? Nobody yet. Good night, Mr. Jenkins. I thought you said it was important. It might be. At least that's the way I was told. What might be? Uh, this here letter I was bringing to you. This is uh, dispatch. Well, got to get along now. Uh, goodbye. Well, get him. What a pixie. What is in the envelope? Mr. Wolf, look. Five $100 bills. And the note says, Mr. Wolf, your services are desperately needed. Come up this weekend as my guest. Signed, E. Malott. Edwin Malott, the wealthy manufacturer. Hmm. Well, looks as though you're going out this weekend. Well, our GP, my respects to Mr. Malott, and I hope you enjoy the weekend. Good night. Something certainly phony about this. There's no party going on here tonight. Yes? What is it? Is this Malott place? It is. What do you want? My name's Goodwin. I'm a guest of Mr. Malott's. A guest? Yes, he invited me down for the weekend. Weekend? Oh. Well, you better step in, please, Mr. Goodwin. Quite a bolt you've got on that door. Yes, isn't it? Just sit down there, please. I'll get Mr. Malott. He's in the library. Oh, here he is. It is Mr. Goodwin, sir. Says he's come down for the weekend. Mr. Goodwin? Good evening. You've come for the weekend, you say? Yes. Wasn't that the idea, Mr. Malott? I, uh, I don't understand, Mr. Goodwin. Didn't you send me this note asking me to come here? Note? I did not. Oh, well, well, this is my personal note stationery. But I don't recall sending this. I didn't even type it. And I'm in the habit of signing my name with a pen, not with a typewriter. E. Malott. You're certainly Edward Malott. Yes. Services are desperately needed. What does this mean? What services? Who are you, Mr. Goodwin? Are you serious? I'm a private investigator. I'm Nero Wolfe's assistant. Oh, indeed. Nero Wolfe, eh? I know of him. Yes, indeed. And you really don't know anything about this note? I do not. Are you having a weekend party here? <laughs> I most certainly am not. Then who sent this? And there were five $100 bills as a retainer. I haven't the slightest idea. Oh, uh, Dorothy. Yes? Would you step in here, please? Uh, Miss Davis is my private secretary. Uh, she may know something about this. Yes, Mr. Malad. What is this? I... Uh, Dorothy. Oh. Dorothy, this is Mr. Goodwin. How do you do, Mr. Goodwin? Well, I... How do you do, Miss Davis? Uh, yes, yes, well. Uh, Mr. Goodwin is assistant to Nero Wolfe. You don't say. Nero Wolfe, the detective? Well, I've heard a great deal about him. And about you, too, Mr. Goodwin. Well, now I'm mighty glad to hear you say that, Miss Davis. Uh, Mr. Goodwin has a note here. Is anything wrong, Edward? I heard voices. Oh, do we have comfort? Nothing is wrong, Eva. I was calling Dorothy, that's all. Oh, Oh, this is Mr. Goodwin, Eva. My wife, Mr. Goodwin. How do you do, Mrs. Malone? Mr. Goodwin, I... 
Yes. How do you do? Uh, Now, as I was about to say, Dorothy, Mr. Goodwin... What's going on? Mr. Goodwin, uh, this is my son, Larry. Good evening. What's wrong? Uh, Mr. Goodwin has been invited here for the weekend. He has an invitation supposedly written by me. At least uh, it's on my stationery. Look at this, Dorothy. Know anything about this note? No. No. I certainly didn't write it. But it's my personal note paper, and my signature is typewritten. I'd uh, never do that. Well, somebody sent it. Who's Jenkins? Jenkins? Never heard of him. A little dried up old man. He delivered it to us. Yeah, maybe it didn't even come from this house. I'm positive that it didn't. Never heard of Jenkins. You have a typewriter here, of course. Yes. I'd like to see it. Uh, certainly, Mr. Goodwin, in the library. How far have you come, Mr. Goodwin? From New York, Manhattan. Oh, and it's such a dreadful night, too. Yes, yes, and it is rather late. Late? It's only 7.30. Why not stay here for the night? Plenty of room? Uh, yes, Mr. Goodwin, plenty of room. Well, I, I don't really think that's necessary. I, uh... On the other hand, it would be a tough drive back to the city in this storm. I'll accept your hospitality, Mr. Mallott. Very good. Oh, where uh, Jeffrey's... Show Mr. Goodwin to the uh, East Wing and uh, take care of his car. Yes, sir. Good night, Mr. Goodwin. You, you mean you're all going to retire now? I haven't even had my dinner. We retire very early here. But Jeffreys will prepare anything you want. Good night. Oh, dear. Oh, move that phone. <coughs> Hello, Wolf speaking. Archie, boss. Well, I'm here at Malotte's place, but there ain't no party. What happened? Are you in the right house? I'm afraid I am. They've all gone to bed. Weird bunch. His wife, who looks very sickly and I think wants to say something to me alone, and Larry the son and Malotte's secretary, Dorothy Davis. She has me bothered a bit. How unusual. Especially if she's pretty. A beauty. But she seems to know all about me. Hmm. You better come home, Archie. I can see you're in no condition to handle this case properly. Give them the money back. Oh, I forgot to tell you. They don't want me here. Malat didn't send the note. No one here knows anything about it, so we can keep the dough. Interesting indeed. The circumstances would indicate that you should stay there and wait for it to happen. For what to happen? For whatever it is the fates have conspired to have happened there while your shining little ego is in the midst of it. Who is it? It's Archie Goodwin, Mrs. Mallott. Come in. Come in, please. I saw you give me the eye when I was about to leave. I've been waiting till I felt sure they were all asleep. Now, what's up? I wrote you that note. I sent for you. How do I know that? Old man Jenkins is a scissor and knife sharpener who happens along every month or so. They wouldn't know him. I put five $100 bills in the envelope. Okay, why? My life is in danger. I've been threatened. I received three notes through the mail. They were all postmarked in New York City. Could I see them? Here they are. Oh, typewritten. The first one reads, there is no love for you in Great Gables. The second, why stay on in the face of death? And the third, the time is shorter than you think. Do you think this is a, well, an inside job, Mrs. Miller? At first I didn't. But lately I've come to think it is. What caused you to think that? For some time I've been having severe spells. I thought it was indigestion. But then it occurred to me that I always broke out in cold perspiration. I was left horribly weakened, terribly thirsty. Thirsty? You fear you're being poisoned? Yes. 
And since the thought came to me, I've been living in fear. Fear of every bite of food or drink. It's so shattered my nerves that I have to take these yellow sleeping capsules to even close my eyes. Well, here's your husband and his secretary and your son, Larry. Larry is my stepson. Which one do you suspect? The secretary, Dorothy, or my husband, or both. What's the motive? Well, they're in love. She's been here over two years, and they've spent most of their time together. The idea never occurred to me till last week. And when I watched them, it, it was quite obvious. Anybody else know about these three notes? Oh, no. Then I'll keep them for a while. Good night, Mrs. Mallott. And don't worry. What are you doing, Mr. Goodwin, snooping around at Father's library? Well, Larry, I was just trying to find out if this Remington was the machine you used to type those notes. What? What notes? The notes you sent your stepmother. Why, I don't know anything about any notes. And why were you so startled? I'm not startled. I just, well, uh, why would I threaten her? So you do know about them. I didn't mention the contents of the notes. I just happened to see them on the table in her sitting room. You don't care too much about your stepmother, do you? She's all right. You don't care too much about Dorothy either, do you? I certainly don't. Why not? Well, I don't like her tactics, making a fool out of my father. If anybody here sent those notes, she did. You think Dorothy would have a motive? I certainly do. Of course, you wouldn't have a motive, would you? No. Well, I'm inclined to think you would. Well, just what motive would I have? You don't seem to like any woman who's too close to your father. Maybe because you'd resent anyone sharing in the estate if your father died. If I were you, Mr. Goodwin, I'd leave. Tonight. And the sooner the better. Good night. Reggie. Reggie. Oh, confounded boy. Yes, Reggie? You have the wrong number. This is Sherlock Holmes speaking. Why didn't you go to bed like the others? You don't have to push it. It'll happen. Even Malat thinks she's being slowly poisoned. Suspects her husband and his secretary. He could be right. What are the symptoms she suffers? Gastric disturbances, weakness, thirst. Indeed. What about the son? Have any ideas? He doesn't like his stepmother and is decidedly against his father's secretary, Dorothy. He knew all about the notes Mrs. Mallott had received. Saw them on her dressing table. He believes Dorothy's the culprit. Then I should say that Dorothy should be the next on your list. You can say that again. Be careful, Archie. Use your head this time. Incidentally, Larry advised me to leave the place tonight. Bit of a threat it was, too. What shall I do, Mr. Anthony? Do nothing. The trouble will come to you. Bye. Oh. Hello there, Mr. Mallard. I thought you turned in for the night. It's quite obvious you thought so, Mr. Goodwin. What are you doing in the library? I'm well, just looking for something to read. You'll find the books all around the walls, not on my desk. Well, I was looking for a particular kind of book. I'm very much interested in poisons. Poisons? Yeah, a hobby of mine. You happen to have any books on toxicology? I do not. And what's that book on the fourth shelf right beside you? Why, I, I uh... Oh, oh toxicology... Where did that come from? Never saw it before. Hmm... Well, perhaps it was in that uh, assorted collection I bought a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't noticed it. Larry probably put them on the shelf. Mr. Mallard, how long have you known Dorothy, your secretary? Uh, a little over two years. Did it ever occur to you that she might be, well, infatuated, in love with you? What? Well, of all the... 
Now, see here. I don't know what you're up to, and I don't know how you got hold of my stationery to write that fake note. This is a fake note, Mallard. I'm only trying to find out what's back of it. Mr. Goodwin, there is nothing going on here that requires the services of a detective, and Dorothy is not in love with me. I didn't say she was. I asked you if you thought she might be. Well, since this conversation seems to concern me, I suppose I am at liberty to come in. Oh, you're still up too, Miss Davis. Did you hear what this man said, Dorothy? Yes, I did, Mr. Millard. And I'd like to have a few words alone with Mr. Goodwin, if you don't mind. Mr. Goodwin, would you mind coming with me for a few minutes? No, not at all. And... Well, it's rather late, Mr. Malott. Don't you think you should retire? It's a heavy day tomorrow. Well, uh, uh, yes. Yes, I suppose I should. And please, don't let this upset you. Mr. Goodwin has been misinformed. I'll straighten him out. Come on, Mr. Goodwin. The bar is right across the hall. I'll fix you a nice, soothing drink. That'll be nice. Well, now, what would you like, Mr. Goodwin? In the way of drinks? Oh, well, some seven-up. Really? <laughs> Just sit down over there. Okay, what do you want to talk about? Well, where did you get the idea that I was in love with Mr. Millard? First, suppose you tell me if you are in love with him. Yes, I am. But until a few minutes ago, he wasn't even aware of it. I worship him and his work. I never wanted him to know because he's married. It would have caused trouble and I'd have had to leave here. Now he knows it's true. Well, now that he knows, what will happen? Well, I'm going to leave tonight. Now. I see. And since I don't own a car, Mr. Goodwin, I'm going to ask you to do me a very great favor. Will you run me into New York? I want to leave without a word. If I wait till morning, I'll have to explain to Mr. Mallard and... Well, that would be most embarrassing, Archie. Oh, now it's Archie. You, you don't really mind, do you? No, no, I guess I don't. I should, maybe, but... Uh... Don't you like your drink? What'd you put in this drink? What do you mean? What'd you dope it with? <laughs> Archie, why would I do that? Might be several reasons. There's nothing in that drink. No? Then suppose you drink it. Why? <laughs> Give it to me. I'll throw it out. If you want another drink, fix it yourself. I'll have my things ready in five minutes. Are you going to take me? Sure. Certainly I'm going to take you. But are you sure you have to go tonight? I must go tonight. Now. Wish I knew why. Mr. Wolf's always so right. What? Just talking to myself. Dorothy! Larry! Jeffries! Come upstairs! What's happened? Call Dr. Hauser. Something terrible has happened to Eva. Well, Dr. Hauser? Oh, poor Mrs. Millot. No, there's nothing to be done now. It's all over. Eva. Eva. You'd better lie down, Mr. Millot. I'll phone and take care of everything. I'll be here if you need me. I uh, have to make out the certificate. Yes, come along, Mr. Millot. Just a minute. You too, Larry. I don't want to make this any more unpleasant for you, but, Doctor, just what are you going to put on the certificate as the cause of death? Acute gastritis. Is that what you've been treating her for? Well, she's had several attacks lately. I'd warned her to be cautious of her diet. And that was wise advice, too. Did you know about these attacks, Mr. Mallott? Yes, I did. And you, Dorothy? Yes, I knew. And you knew also, Larry? Uh, no, I I knew she hadn't been feeling well. How long had Mrs. Mallott been suffering from insomnia? Oh, a year at least. I prescribed Nemitol. The yellow capsules? Of course. I wrote a prescription ever so often calling for 12 capsules. You all knew about that, of course. I thought so. 
And would this be the prescription, this little box of capsules here on... Well. What's the matter, Mr. Goodwin? That box was open on this nightstand when we stepped into this room. All right, let's have the box, Mr. Mallard. Thank you. Why'd you pick it up? Because I... I didn't want the stigma of suicide on Eva's name, her mind. Suicide? Yes. Eva had this prescription filled yesterday morning. The dose is one at bedtime. Twelve capsules. She took one last night. I glanced at the open box when I came into the room, and there were only eight capsules left. I, I knew instantly what had happened. She'd taken an overdose. Doctor, do you think three capsules would be sufficient to cause her death? I doubt it very much. So do I. Mrs. Mallott didn't die from an overdose of sleeping capsules. She was poisoned. Poisoned? Are you crazy? By whom? By you. Or Dorothy. Or Larry. No. I didn't do it. I didn't write those notes. What notes? Mrs. Mallott had received three notes threatening her life if she didn't leave this house. Each of you had a motive, so I'm sending this body to the coroner for an immediate autopsy. I won't permit it. The police will see to it. You have no choice. Yes, Archie. What now? You know who did it? How do you know anything's happened? Let us call it extrasensory perception. Well, Mrs. Mallott was right. She's dead. Her doctor knew nothing about the spell she was having as being caused by anything but indigestion. How about an autopsy? It's all in the works. Looks like a metallic poison, all the symptoms. Oh? Did you search the house carefully for such a poison? I did. I'll check the drugstores in the morning. Somebody in that house will purchase some poison. Let me know when the autopsy report is in. Right. Let's see now. We have Mr. Mallott, Dorothy Davis, and Larry the son. He's Mr. Mallott's son, but not the child of Eva Mallott, remember? Yes. Is it true that Dorothy is in love with Mallott? Yep. Dorothy admitted it to me, but claimed Mallott wasn't aware of it until the night. And earlier this evening, Dorothy tried her best to get me out of the house, insisted that I drive her into town. She tried to give me a drink, which I think might have contained knockout drops. You don't say. Archie, I should have Fritz drive me up to the Mallott place at once. Archie, are you there? No, boss, I just fainted. And that, Mr. Wolf, is most of the story up to now. Very interesting. Yes, indeed. But it isn't true. I did not put anything in Mr. Goodwin's drink. Then did you ask him to take you into town? Yes. And I might have been found in the ditch. Oh, that's ridiculous. Why did you try to get Mr. Goodwin to take you to town? Because I felt it would be too embarrassing to remain until morning. Maybe you'd already given Mother the big dose of poison and wanted Goodwin out before it was discovered. Well, you Wait a minute. That... Now, Mr. Miller, you claim that you knew nothing about Dorothy being in love with you. Should we believe that? You can believe it or not. Dorothy had a motive to get rid of Mrs. Mallott. It seems that Mr. Mallott had one, too. And so did Larry. What? You admitted to me that you didn't like your stepmother. And that you disliked Dorothy even more. I didn't say that. You said Dorothy was making a fool of your father. You resented the possibility of any woman sharing in the estate. You knew about the sleeping capsules, and you could have put poison in some of them. You could have written those threat notes. And by getting rid of your stepmother and placing the blame on Dorothy, you'd be getting rid of them both. But I didn't. I did not write those notes. You were the only one who knew about them. I was not the only one. I saw Dorothy coming out of Mother's room. It was this afternoon. Mother was out taking his son back. Dorothy did it. She's the one. I think you're the one. No, no, Dorothy wrote those notes. That's a lie. No, she probably slipped into Mother's room and wrote those notes on Mother's portable. What? Hey, just a minute. Archie, come here. I never heard of sex lies. Oh, I didn't do it. You can't send me to jail. 
I'll kill you first. Larry, drop that gun. Don't come near me, any of you. You're such a fool, Larry. Give me that gun. I'll shoot. I'll shoot. Come on. There. Now, you better quiet down, kid. Or Inspector Kramer will take care of you when he arrives. Well, Mr. Wolf, what goes on here? Where's Goodwin? I sent him upstairs, Inspector Kramer, upstairs to Mrs. Malotte's room to check on something. Now, here he is. Yeah? What have you been doing, Goodwin? This, Inspector, is the pièce de résistance. This is what Mr. Wolf has been waiting for. This little black box contains a typewriter, a portable noiseless Remington. Mrs. Malotte's typewriter. What? I didn't even know she had a typewriter. Larry, he knew she had one. And this is undoubtedly the very typewriter the threat notes were written on. All three of them. You were right, boss. Oh, I knew she had a typewriter, but I didn't write those notes. Oh, shut up. Archie, how do you know the notes were written on this typewriter? I've compared the type and the ribbon. They're both the same. These notes were written on this Remington. It was Dorothy! Larry, I don't believe a word you've been saying. Dorothy couldn't possibly be guilty of such a thing. If anyone is guilty, you yourself certainly have all the earmarks. Everybody's against me, even my own father. But I'm innocent, I tell you. Let me get it. I think I know who it is. Hello. Yeah, just a second. You better take it, boss. Wolf. Oh, yes, go ahead. Let's have it. Yes. He's here, but he won't mind. Yes? I see. Uh-huh. You just finished. Oh. Good. Right. Bye. Was it the coroner? The coroner. Reporting that poison was found in the sleeping capsules. And the body. Did they find poison? They did. You're right again, boss. I'm going up to Mrs. Minot's room for a while. I want you to come along with me. Find anything yet, Archie? No, mostly bills and invitations to bridge parties and so on. Ah. You find something, boss? Yes and no. This pocketbook detective story. What about it? I'm just flipping through the pages and I find this corner turned down. Well, well. What is it? Look and read. Why stay on in the face of death? Interesting. The very words used in one of the notes. Give me the book. Of course, uh, this doesn't prove a thing either. But it does confirm what I was... Oh, oh. What now? This cinches it. Get them all up here, Archie. Tell Kramer to bring them all to the bedroom. Well, Mr. Wolf, what now? As you all know, Mrs. Minot was poisoned by someone who had an opportunity to put it in the sleeping capsule. Someone in this household. Yeah, but which one? The kid? I never bought any poison in my life. Be quiet, will you? No, Inspector, it wasn't Larry. And I suppose you think I put the rest of that rat poison in your drink, Mr. Goodwin. No, Dorothy, it wasn't you. But how did you know it was rat poison? I didn't. I just guessed. I can think, too. Then if it wasn't Dorothy or Larry, you you must mean me. No, Mr. Lund. Now, wait a minute. It had to be somebody. Yes. This is going to be painful for you, Mr. Malott. Well, you, you mean that Mrs. Malott did commit suicide? It was more than suicide. It was suicide with an attempt to have both you and Dorothy convicted of murder. She planted things? She did. I can't believe it. Show him the pocketbook, mystery. Here's the proof. Some of the threat notes were lifted bodily from this novel. Look on the back cover. Isn't that Mrs. Malotte's handwriting? Yes, and this is the other note. The one to you, Mr. Wolf. Composed in pencil. 
before she typed it out on her machine. Then, Wolf, the note you received was the same typing as the threat notes. See for yourself, Inspector. Then why the Dickens did not you compare them right away? Just one of those things, Inspector. There are times when even a good detective is a bit on the, uh, shall we say, dull side. Don't you find it often true, Inspector? Hmm? Nice of you to go all the way out there, boss. I was a bit stuck. Quite all right, Archie. Yeah, there's something that still bothers me. So? How can such a sweet, motherly type as Mrs. Malott cook up such gruesome ideas? She was a very sick woman, mentally as well as physically. She probably felt she was going to die. And her warped mind seized on the opportunity to make sure that this Dorothy didn't get her man after she was dead. And speaking of Dorothy, she's a mighty pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Some beer, please, Archie. If you were so certain that Dorothy wasn't guilty, what was the idea of spending so much time questioning her? Huh? Why, I, I, I... Never mind. The raised eyebrow department answered the question. Well, there are certain rules a good detective always follows. Some are in the book, others aren't. You mean there's nothing in the book which says a good detective shouldn't spend a few minutes with an attractive brunette, even though she is a murder suspect? The author of that book can be none other than the incomparable Archie Goodwin. <laughs> good night, Archie. Ah. You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell brings you mystery, adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. Uh, just a moment, please. Hey, boss, uh, Mr. Tom Wilcox wants an appointment. How about one o'clock? Archie, no appointments today. I intend to put some dendrobium offsets. One o'clock will be fine, Mr. Wilcox. You see the Tom Wilcox who was acquitted yesterday of the murder of that singer, Keith Hansen? Uh, Mr. Wilcox, are you the Tom Wilcox who... Oh, you are. I see. What does he want with me? Uh, Mr. Wilcox, why do you seek Mr. Wolf's services? I see. Well, our fee is a thousand dollars with a retainer of five hundred, okay? Oh, yes, Mr. Wolf will see you. Uh, what's that? Hey, what was that? Hey, hey, Mr. Wilcox. Archie, stop shouting, hey. He whispered someone was at the window. Then I heard a shot and he dropped the phone. Boss, I'm afraid we've just lost a client. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that renowned genius who is the bulkiest, bulkiest, most ponderous, and most brilliant detective in the world. Yes, none other than that chairborne mass of unpredictable intellect, Nero Wolf, created by Rex Stout, and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. <laughs> This episode is one Nero Wolf refers to as a slight case of perjury. 
It all started with the phone call from Tom Wilcox and the ensuing shot, which I was sure had brought our newfound income to an early end. Anyway, there was the shot and... Hello? Mr. Wilcox? Hello? Well, boss, I've certainly waited long enough for him to come back to the phone. We may have just lost a nice bankroll. Nonsense, Archie. Other clients will rescue us. Now for a cool bottle of beer, Archie. We're almost out of beer. i better get over there and see what happened to Mr. Wilcox. The beer first. Mirror Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. Oh, Wilcox, you all right? Well, was that a shot? It was, huh? I'm glad it missed. Tell him to come right over here. Yeah, you dug the slug out of the wall. Well, come right over. Boss, the police never found the gun that killed Keith Hansen. No gun was found. Wilcox said he thinks he was shot at with a thirty-two. He dug the bullet out of the wall. The murderer of Hansen must now be after Wilcox. If Wilcox is telling the truth. He was acquitted. The society gal, Mrs. Patricia Park, established his alibi, said she was with Wilcox at the time the murder was supposed to have occurred. I read the papers, Archie. Where's last night's paper? Wow, boss, look at her picture. Ooh, she's a honey. Archie, will you get me some beer? Well, if you move your arm six and a quarter inches, you can't possibly miss it. Mr. Wolf, this is Tom Wilcox, our new client. How do you do? Uh, Archie, the red leather chair for Mr. Wilcox. Uh, Mr. Wolf, I, I'd like your aid in finding the murderer of Keith Hansen. Indeed. Why do you suppose you were shot at this morning? I gave a statement to the press last night, which was printed this morning, saying that I was going to seek out the killer of Keith Hansen. The killer obviously wants me stopped. Uh, here's the bullet, a thirty-two, I'd say. Why did you go to Keith Hansen's apartment on the day of his death? I went there to tell him to stay away from my sister. We had a fight. The manager came and stopped us. I told Hansen I'd kill him if he didn't lay off. The manager heard this. Then I went home. What time was that? About 8.30. The police claimed I returned to Hansen's apartment and shot him. I couldn't prove I was at home all night. It was going rough for me until Patricia Park testified she was with me at the time when the crime was said to have been committed. Why didn't you tell the police in the first place that this Patricia Park was with you? Well, that's the whole trouble. She wasn't. What? Her claim that she spent the hours from nine till midnight with me was a lie. In fact, I'd never met the woman in my life. Have you contacted this Patricia since your release, Mr. Wilcox? Yes, but she refuses to see me. Archie, phone Mrs. Patricia Park and tell her that she must see her at once, for her own good. Time is of the essence. And what else can you tell me, Mrs. Park? Mr. Goodwin, I haven't anything more to say than I've already said. All I want is a simple answer as to why you lied about being with Tom Wilcox. Well, Tom Wilcox is a very fine man, but he isn't telling you the truth. Did you commit the murder? And succeed in establishing your own alibi by swearing you and Tom Wilcox were together ten miles from the scene of the crime? I did not. Do you own a gun? Don has one around. Who's Don? Don's my husband. Oh, is he here? I doubt it. He's never here. Spends most of his time at the bookies. Throwing away every cent he can get his hands on. I've had to cut his allowance to practically nothing. Doesn't he work? No. He studied medicine but gave it up. He was an illustrator for years but gave that up when his eyes were burned in a plane crash. Mm -hmm. Where's the gun? It's in the desk. It used to be in here. What caliber? I don't know. Where were you at 10 o'clock this morning? Why, I think I was with the cook. Someone fired a shot at Tom Wilcox this morning through the window. No. 
Oh, no. Archie, please don't continue with this investigation, please. How well did you know Keith Hansen? Not very well, but enough to realize he was no good. Mr. Goodwin, if you will drop this case, I'll give you a thousand dollars cash. Not interested. But I am interested in learning why you lied, why Tom was shot at this morning, and why you should try to bribe me. You must stop for your own sake. How will it benefit me to step out of it? The killer tried to stop Tom Wilcox. You might be next, and he may not miss this time. Go on. Why have you been protecting Wilcox? I believe Tom Wilcox was innocent. Now, I didn't want him to be sentenced to die, so... So I lied at the trial. He told us today he'd never seen you before. That's true. But he looked so innocent, so, so clean and good and decent. That's not very believable. If you don't think Wilcox killed Hanson, who do you think did? Please believe me, Archie. I don't know. I don't, I tell you. Hi, sis. Hey, what's the matter? Are we intruding? Oh, hello, Marge. Brad, come in. This is Mr. Goodwin, my sister and brother-in-law, Marge and Brad Keene. How do you do? Hello. What gives? And who's Mr. Goodwin? A private detective, Marge. I've just explained to Mr. Goodwin that I wasn't with Tom Wilcox at the time of Keith Hanson's murder. Pat, why did you tell him that? Mr. Goodwin, I hope you will not use this knowledge against Pat. Did you all know Keith Hanson? Yes. And my husband and Keith went to school together. Keith, Don, and I were on the same polo team. Where were you at the time of the Hanson murder, Mr. King? He and Don were attending a horse show at Madison Square Garden. Marge and I didn't want to go. We stayed here. Where were you at 10 this morning, Mr. King? Why, uh... I had an appointment with my dentist, Dr. Flagg, Rockefeller Center. And you, Mrs. King? I was shopping. Ilsa's salon. A salon dresses. Why all this questioning? Marge, someone tried to kill Tom Wilcox this morning. What? May I use the phone, Mrs. Park? Yes, of course. First order your left. Suppose you try to find the gun. Marge, that gun is missing from the desk. I haven't seen it. Do you know the caliber, Mr. King? Uh, 32, I think. It must be in the house. For your sake, I hope you find it. Yeah, Wolf speaking. Archie, boss. You should have reported long ago. She must be very pretty. Pat Park admits she lied. She claims now she was with her sister, Marge King. Marge and her husband, Brad, have alibis, and all have alibis for this morning. I'll check them before I return. Where were they the night of the Hanson murder? Well, Brad and Don Park, that's Pat's husband, were at the Madison Square Garden horse show. Pat and Marge were together here at the house. Impossible to verify the Madison Square alibi at this date. Check all the rest and come home for lunch. It's Oysters Rockefeller. Has Inspector Kramer arrived yet? He has, and left the police records on the Hanson murder. He has taken the bullet Wilcox brought to be checked at ballistics. Good. Pat had a thirty-two caliber gun in the desk in the library. It's now missing. Indeed. And boss Pat just offered me a thousand dollars to quit the case. When I refused, she said if I didn't lay off, something might happen to me. Oh, dear me. That would be most upsetting, eh? <laughs> After lunch, I want you to visit the late Keith Hansen's apartment. Bye. Before you join the others, Mr. Goodwin, I want to talk to you. All right. Close the door, Marge. Pat didn't mean anything when she offered you money, Archie. And she wasn't threatening you, honest. I'm convinced. Why the pressure? Uh, well, why don't you sit down? Here, by me. Okay. What's on your mind, huh? Archie, I can add another thousand to what Pat offered. Wouldn't that be enough, Archie? I can give it to you right now. Brad will write a check. Does Brad want me to stop, too? 
He said you couldn't be persuaded. Every one of you seems to have had a reason for killing Hanson. None of you apparently liked him. Now be a good little girl, Marge, and stop trying to act like a Delilah. If you're innocent, you have nothing to worry about. You're stuffy. I hope you do get hurt. Thanks a million. Now let's join the others. Well, Pat, did you find the gun? I can't find it anywhere. Oh, Mr. Goodwin, this is Don Park, my husband. How do you do? Now I am. Have you seen the gun, Mr. Park? Not for ages. You're a detective, eh? Yeah. May I ask where you were this morning, about ten? Why? Well, frankly, I was at my bookies. Where's that? I can't tell you. But I'll call him and you can check it. Were you and Brad together at all times during the horse show the night of Keith Hansen's murder? No. Brad wanted away a couple of times and I saw some people I knew. You know how it is. We'd meet at intervals. Archie, you're wasting your time. None of us is guilty. I made a fool of myself, that's all. Tom Wilcox was such a decent man that I hated to see him have to pay for taking Keith Hansen's rotten life. If a man's guilty, why should you butt in? You never use your head. Pat is one person who thinks of others before herself. Marge, forget it. Now you've got private detectives snooping around. What are you after, Goodwin? Who are you working for? Why don't you let my wife alone? The case is closed, isn't it? Maybe. Don, this just makes it more interesting to Mr. Goodwin. As a matter of fact, I think you all know more than you're telling. I still think Tom Wilcox killed him. And there's only one reason why Pat should protect him. Don, that's enough. Nice, happy family. Suffering all the torments of a guilty conscience, is that it? What are you trying to do, Mr. Goodwin? Get your nose poked? Not exactly. If not, you'd better leave. Okay, Mr. King, I'll run along. Mr. Wolf will be anxiously waiting to hear about this. So long. Pet Park's cook ready for the alibi for 10 o'clock this morning, then. Uh, what about the other alibis? Well, Brad's dentist said that he didn't get to Brad until about 10.30. His appointments had run over. He wasn't sure if Brad was there at 10 or not. The nurse was out at that time. Marge's alibi is no good. That mob at Elsa's, the saleswomen wouldn't have known their own mothers. Don's alibi checks, if we can take the word of the bookie. Don and Pat, then, are the only ones who have alibis are checked, huh? That's right. Are these the reports Inspector Kramer brought? Mm-hmm. Keith Hansen's body showed obvious signs of battering. Lips were swollen and lacerated, clothes disarranged. Knuckles of the right hand were skinned, nose fractured. Major contusion over the right eye, and the eyes were closed. Thirty-two caliber bullet was embedded in the left chest wall. Wow, what a battle. I am of the opinion that Hanson was battered by two different people. I think someone arrived after Wilcox was thrown out by the manager, and this someone gave Hanson another beating. Really, boss? Come, let's have dinner. Then you must get over to Hanson's apartment. Well, the desk yielded one thing of interest. Keith's address book. And Marge's name is in there. Apparently, he'd known her before she was married, when she was Marge Van Cott. I see. A married name, King, was added in a different colored ink. Pat's phone number's there, and of course, Don's and Brad's office numbers. There are a few bills, but no letters, no clues. Sure. Boss, I've combed the place, and isn't it? Hey, wait a minute, I'll call you back. Who's there? <laughs>
Archie, you know, I dislike the banging of doors. Sign of their breathing. Archie, what happened to you? Target for tonight, Archie Goodwin. Your forehead's bleeding. You better have Fritz fix it. Well, my head can wait. Some guy certainly surprised me at Hanson's. Creased me on the forehead. Good thing I snapped off the lights. He emptied his gun at me. We scuffled and he got away. And then I dug his slug out of a chair. I think it's a thirty-two. But look at this, boss. A little round piece of glass. Found it on the floor. Hmm. It's very small, very smooth. And concave or convex in shape. Of an inch diameter. Watch crystal? I don't think so. The edges are too smoothly ground. I'll examine it under a magnifying glass. I'll get it, boss. Oh, hi, Tom. Come in. It's Mr. Wilcox, boss. Archie, hey, what's happened to you? Somebody tried to scalp me. Good evening, Mr. Wilcox. The red leather chair, Tom. Archie, please finish your report. Did you notice anything else of importance at Hanson's apartment? Is that where this happened? Yeah. Well, there were dozens of gals' photos scattered around. Photos, eh? But no letters, Archie? Not a one. There must be some letters, Archie. Love letters. Wherever we have girls' photos and telephone numbers, I assure you they're bound to be love letters. That is what we must find. And then we'd have a motive. Yeah, but where do I look, huh? Go to Hanson's dressing room at the Club Diablo. I have just phoned the place. A female singer is substituting for Hanson. But she won't arrive until supper hour. Mr. Wilcox, accompany Mr. Goodwin, if you please. Keep your eyes open. I need the boy. Then you do love me, boss? Come on, Tom. Let's look at this Club Diablo. Well, I fixed it up with a stage door. Here, this is Hanson's dressing room. What a layout. The dressing room's fancier than most of the Met stars get. Hanson fixed it up himself. A bar, refrigerator, hot plate, television set. He could live here. Some of this stuff could be the new girl singers. I don't think so. Well, let's get to work, Tom. Take the drawers and his dressing table first. What are we looking for, Archie? Well, Mr. Wolf says the motive. He means letters. There's nothing here. Nothing in the desk. New singer must have cleaned it out for her things. Nothing in the books. Don't pass up that refrigerator. Nope. Empty. Hey, there is something here. Back of the ice cube trays. Come here. Oh, well. Mr. Wolf said there had to be letters, and so there are letters. Lots of them. Hey, here's one from Marge. And another. And look here. Really confidential letters from a dozen society gals. There's something else in the back. Bank book. Well, you know, a singer like Keith didn't make this much. No, that kind of money didn't come from crooning. Uh, Keith was really shaking these babes down. Archie, someone's coming with him. Quick, behind the door and grab him. Douse the lights. Hold it, Tom. Well, it's you two. Oh, you dirty rat. Hitting a woman. Tom, what are you and Archie doing here? The letters. Archie, you found them. Archie, please, give me those uh, letters. Uh-uh-uh, don't touch. I'll just put them safely away in my pocket. Besides, you didn't write all of these. Give them to me. At least give me my letters. I'll tell you what, you go on home and stay there, and we'll leave it up to Mr. Wolf. Tom, take him outside. I want to use his phone. Come along, ladies. Let us oblige Mr. Goodwin. I'll meet you at the stage door, Archie. Right.
Hey, the lights. Who's there? Put the phone up, Goodwin. Who are you? Uh, Archie, what happened? Are you hurt? Here, let me help you. I'm all right, I guess. Oh, my head. Did you see anybody? No, no, I didn't. I shouldn't have left you. Turn out the lights before I saw him. He whispered. Got away with all the evidence. Where are the girls? I sent them home in a cab. Well, let's get over to Mr. Wolf. This is tough luck. If I'm not mistaken, his next move will be to have a little get-together with all concerned. Come on. Archie, the door, I guess, started arriving. Excuse me, Tom. Come in, Inspector Kramer. Uh, good one. Good evening, Inspector. Well, Mr. Wolf, got to kill him. You said you'd hand him over to me this evening. In time, Inspector. You know Tom Wilcox, of course. Mr. Wolf, you Inspector. What about the ballistics report, Inspector? The bullet was shot from the same gun that killed Hanson. And that gun, I am certain, came from the home of Pat and Don Parks. Marge and Brad King also had access to it. I have one more bullet here, Inspector. One fired at Mr. Goodwin. I'm sure it was also shot from the same gun. However, it isn't important now. Isn't important? It almost cost me my life. You can make it into a charm if you wish. Inspector Kramer, before our other guests arrive, I must tell you that Mrs. Park lied on the witness stand. She was not with Tom Wilcox at the time Keith Hanson was murdered. In fact, they were absolute strangers. What? Sit down, Inspector. Four other guests are due to arrive any moment. Yeah, four of the other guests. Patricia and Don Park, Marge and Brad King, one or all is involved in the Hanson murder. Archie, do any of these people wear spectacles? Nope, none of them. Do you know why this person killed Hanson, Mr. Wolf? First of all, Hanson was a blackmailer. The girl Marge was the current victim. The letters Hanson held with a threat. I'll explain later. Well, then Pat must have thought that Marge killed Hanson to get the letters, and she lied on the stand to save Tom's life because she believed Tom was innocent. Where's this Marge King? I'll have her picked up. Sit down, Inspector. Archie, I believe our guests are arriving now. Come in, come in. How are you? Good evening. Archie, cheers. Inspector Kramer, Patricia and Don Park, Marge and Brad King, and this is Tom Wilcox. We met at the Club Diablo this afternoon. All right, Mr. Wolf, which one is it? Patience, Inspector. One of these five people is the murderer of Keith Hansen, a killer. What is this nonsense? Please sit down. Mr. Wolf speaking. Go ahead, boss. Any one of you had sufficient motive to have committed the Hansen murder. Not one of you has established a bona fide alibi. You who are actually innocent must tell the truth, or you should all suffer as accessories after the fact. Mr. Wolf, you're wasting your time. Marge, several years ago, you were secretly married to Keith Hansen. It lasted but one week. You gave Keith the money to get a divorce from you at Mexico. He didn't, which made you a bigger miss when you married Brad. Keith was all set to blackmail you. He knew your husband Brad was wealthy. Marge, is this true? Yes. 
Oh, please, Brad, I thought he got the divorce. If I'd known that, I would have killed Hanson myself. Maybe you did kill him. One moment, Inspector. Patricia, you lied on the stand to protect Tom Wilcox here because you believed your sister Marge was guilty of Hanson's murder. Why did you believe her, her guilty? Were you at the scene of the crime? Marge, it's time to tell the truth and clear all this up. You won't be satisfied until you're in jail. Will you shut up? Quiet, please. Go ahead, Marge. All right. Keith Hansen was shot from the bedroom while I stood talking to him in the living room. You went there to buy back your letters? Yes, Pat drove me to his apartment. There was no place to park, so she said she'd drive around the block until I came out. That's why she's never been sure whether I killed him or not. That's right. Because I feel I might have shot him if I'd been in your place. Because of what Hanson did. What was it he did? Keith Hanson demanded $10,000 in exchange for the letters. Pat loaned me the money so Brad wouldn't know. What? Is that true, Pat? You loaned her 10000 I got to Keith's apartment about 9.30. He looked awful. He obviously had been in a fight. The room was mussed up and his nose was bleeding. Yes, go on. He went to the bedroom to get the letters and came back saying they were gone. I didn't believe him. Keith said he knew who had taken them and he'd have them back by morning. He grabbed the money from me and put it in his pocket. He was just about to tell me who took the letters when there was a shot from the bedroom door. Keith Hanson fell to the floor, but I didn't see anyone. I, I wanted to get my money from his coat pocket, Pat's money. I, I couldn't touch him. His staring wide open eyes were horrifying. I ran and I ran. Oh, poor baby, why didn't you tell me? I think you're lying, young lady. You took the gun from your sister's desk, and when Keith Hansen didn't produce the letters, you deliberately shot him. You didn't even offer him any money. You kept it yourself. No, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, Pat, don't believe him. Inspector Kramer, she's innocent. I know who did it. Oh, no, Brad, stop. Oh, Brad, what are you saying? All right, all right, break it up. Yeah, so do I know, Brad. That's why you left the horse show. I thought you were guilty all along. All right, Inspector. Now you know. I don't get this, boss. Inspector, ladies and gentlemen, please. First, which of you had some medical training? Medical training? Oh, Keith Hansen and I both went to medical school. Why? That is most enlightening, Mr. Park. Marge and I were nurses' aides during the war. And perhaps you can interpret this medical phraseology for me. These few lines from this little medical book. Archie, hand it to Don Park. Will you read it, please, at the top of page 75? It uh, says the form of pernicious anemia commonly found in the human is... Now, uh, Don, hold your hand over your right eye and read on. What? Uh, also common to the many lower... Now, uh, cover the left eye and read with the other. What is this? Go ahead. Well, uh, many, many lower animals and... Uh, and this, this light isn't so good. Step close to me. Hmm. Yes, thank you. Mr. Park, here is the contact lens for your right eye. I am sure you've been tremendously handicapped without it all day. Inspector Don Park is your murderer. Don't move, Park. Keep away, I want you. Drop that gun, Park. Now I got his gun. Hey, uh, Inspector, he's all yours now. Okay, come on. Okay, good one. But I'll get out of this. You trapped yourself, Don, by your contact lens. It dropped from your eye during the scuffle with Archie in the Hanson apartment this afternoon. And the gun Archie just took from you is undoubtedly the murder weapon. And the gun that fired the bullets at Wilcox and Archie today. 
Hey, Tom, are you all right? There's blood on the side of your head. Uh, just graze my scalp. You and I must have hard heads. Well, that's that. Thanks so much, Inspector, for dropping in. Come again, won't you? This was a rough day's work, boss. Send me here, Archie, please. Right. Hey, what was that business about the medical training? Maud said the body of Keith had staring, wide-open eyes, preventing her from touching the body. But the police found the eyelids closed. How did they get closed? Well, he must have bothered Don, too, and he closed them. His medical training. Right. The layman would never touch the eyes of the dead. Marge couldn't, not even to get back the $10,000. Here's your beer. Why did Don do all this, boss? Obviously, he learned of Hanson's blackmail scheme and was trying to force him to agree to split Marge's $10,000. Don was quite startled a minute ago to learn that Pat, his own wife, put up the money. However, when they heard Marge arriving, Don stepped into the bedroom, found Marge's letters in there, and must have hidden in the closet. Then as Keith Hanson was about to speak Don's name, Don shot him and took Marge's money. Of course, he planned to carry on a blackmailing of Marge himself, thinking the money would come from Brad. Yeah. And you are warming that beer with your hot little hands. Pour it, please. There you are. You've had a rough day, beaten twice, and lost to interesting women. <laughs> Tonight, you may open your bedroom window. <laughs> Good night, Archie. You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story by Gladys Williams was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman production, produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Harry Bartell as Archie Goodwin, and Mary Lansing, Jean Bates, Paul Marion, Barney Phillips, Ken Peters, and Bill Johnstone. Next week at this same time, Nero Wolf and Archie will bring you The Case of the Lost Heir. Don Stanley speaking. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed all three episodes for this mega episode. I'm going to be back narrating the soul of Lilith next week and finishing off Nero Wolf the week after. So stick with me next Monday, where I think that might be the finale of the Nero Wolf series. We'll see. And you can be a supporter on my show for as much as $5 dues a month, and you can also be awesome and review my iTunes page so that like-minded people find the show. Help me share more stories with the world, you amazing listeners. Currently, the people that do help the show are coming up right now. First is my Hobbit to the Ring supporter, Matto Star, who supports this podcast at the Ode Night Tea Titan level, where he lights the fuse that sends this podcast out of the stratosphere and somewhere around the HD1 galaxy. Yeah, 13.5 billion light years into space. Matto Star, today's episode I was able to push the fidelity of the old-time radio shows very, very far. 
take a listen to the original mates. Oh, Fritz, yeah, that was the outside line. Yeah. And now the cleaned up version. What? Oh, Fritz, yeah, that was the outside line. Yeah. Thanks to you, Matto, and all of my supporters, I'm able to use highly technical software and artificial intelligence to clean up the audio, made possible only by supporters like Matto that supercharge this podcast editing prowess. Thanks, mate. You really are the source on the Aussie beef pie that is my podcast. Cheers, mate. A special thank you to Maya, the queen of cats, who has supported this show for many a year and really gave this podcast a leg up in this space. An Ode Night Tea Titan supporter just like Matto. Thanks, Maya. And my white tea warlord, Lezuka Rex, slayer of boredom, kicker of butts, and high fives of greatness. Mate, thank you so much for your support. I've been able to cover some serious Adobe Photoshop costs, WordPress website costs, and keeping the lights pumping in a way that significantly lessens the dent of those costs to my bottom line and overall production. Thanks to your help, I'm able to focus on the art and the effort to produce these episodes, and not worry so much about the cost to run the show. You're a legend, mate. Thank you. And the sparks that set this podcast aflame, my amazing and awesome Earl Grey Enforcers, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, Divined by Zero, Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, Solstra, and Paige Kramer. Thank you all, you legends. To those of you who have rated me on iTunes, you have my eternal thanks. If you're wondering how you can help this podcast but are unable to monetarily, iTunes reviews are the best way to give me a leg up. And if you have the time, that would be awesome. Now, write your stories, share your tale, make it creepy or something silly about a snail, but remember that little tremor that crawls up your spine, or the tingle that makes you smile from a perfect plotline. That's the magic of storytelling. Like tea, it's divine. You took the time to listen to me, and you think that it was your treat. But I thank you, my friends, for the listen. And as always, till next we meet.